We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Make a daily practice with yourself, getting sexy with yourself. Getting sexy. What does that mean? It means that we don't, okay, touch yourself. You know, you touch your arm, we touch it, function. But when's the last time you just touched your skin like get sensual with yourself alone in all the ways so you can start to feel into the softness it's there we just don't allow it in you're in the mirror and you're this is very hard but this is the aspiration and every metaphysical teacher ever has always said this one start to look into your own eyes and don't oh i'm old they're wrinkled but what's beautiful about them like start to romance yourself in the tiniest little ways so you can just start to feel the softening in your own heart it wants it it wants it bad and once you just let that in a tiny bit it takes over the tour ratio okay though the tour ratio okay though that might be the best question i've ever been asked (laughs) you're a phenomenal person i mean legendary i am a fan of you my brother Grace Harry is an old friend of mine who's been working for years as a joy strategist. What is that? It's a person who's helping you find your way to joy. And she's written out her philosophy on how to get to joy in a new book called The Joy Strategist, Your Path to Inner Change. It is amazing. It's revolutionary. It is powerful. You're going to get a piece of what she's talking about. And if you stick with us... She's also going to talk about how it came to be that she is the subject of one of the most famous songs in hip-hop history, Bonita Applebaum. Stick with us. It's Grace Harry on Touré Show. Hi, Grace. How are you? I'm really good, actually. I feel really excited and blessed and shocked. But I get to just keep reinventing myself like this over and over and over and over and over. <laughs> so wait, okay. What is joy? Yes. Joy is the communication of your heart. And the Latin root of courage is the word cur, which is a French word for heart. Yeah. And the original uh, translation was the courage, no, the bravery to tell the truth of your heart. So I think of joy as a communication of truth of your heart. But sometimes... The truth of my heart is I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm melancholy, or many things, right? In a normal, healthy day, I'm not just happy and joyful all day long. I will feel many things. And that's why I didn't use the word happy, because that, first of all, it's a word that keeps getting, being co-opted and has changed. But joy is not to be in some fake uh, reality. There's nothing in the whole world, especially in nature, that can go up and not go down. So you can't access joy if you're not leading into pain. 
if you're not in the full balance at all times of the truth of your heart. And I think we need to also rebrand pain and fear and all these things that we've, from the American system and from Disney, I have to crap on them and this concept. You know, it's funny, I was crapping on Disney for a long time that they've ruined relationships with the Prince Charming and stuff. But when I really think about it, they really talk about what real love is in a way that you have to go through some major drama, right? You have to live with some small dwarves or you have to talk to animals in nature or turn to a pumpkin or, but that's the truth. You know, there's, there's no concept that you can live and be on a roller coaster and stay on the very top without taking that major dip. Well, wait, you've been working as a joy strategist. Yes. What does that mean? I made it up. I know. And I really made it up to get around some people's concept of religion and how religion debunks everything. And so if I feel crappy or if I feel sad, I'm going to go to the heaven place and not to H-E double hockey sticks. So I don't need to lean to joy. I could just work hard and get through it and then I'll die and it'll be fantastic. But I argue that we're in hell right now. And hell is a mental state. It's a concept of what you believe about yourself. And I'm not saying that things don't happen to us, but it's the, even meditation, right? For example, why do we learn meditation? And not to just to get into this zoned out state, but to live in a life where our stimulus doesn't take us over, that we learn how to manage our thoughts and therefore we learn how to manage our lives when real shit is coming at us all the time. So I, I say that joy is a concept of the truth of your heart. Now the, the strategy in it is managing it so it doesn't take you down. It's not saying I feel shitty and therefore I can't access joy or I'm going to live in a fake joy state and never feel bad. It's to say, wow, I woke up this morning and I know I need to eat so I have to feed myself. I know I need to not walk out naked, so I need to put on clothing. And I also need to be radically responsible for my energetic state so that it inspires other people to access joy and gets me through the day. So if I were to hire you, because you have all these celebrity name brand clients you've worked with as a joy strategist, if I was to hire you, yeah, what would you do to, like, what is the goal yeah. that we're working on? Because I feel like, you're in the nexus of there's a therapist, there's a life coach. Yes. You're in that general circle, but you're in a different lane. Yes. What I've noticed now is that one person will have a medicine ceremony, let's say, and now they're a shaman. Yeah. Or you've read one book and now you want to let me know how I'm supposed to deal with my emotions. And I reject that because we all know the truth of our own hearts. We knew when we were little how to soothe ourselves what made us feel good, how to play. We didn't look for someone to tell us what to do. So if someone says they're triggered, that doesn't mean that I am responsible for their trigger. It's a you're welcome. I've shown you something else that you have to work on. So I went to strategy over life coaching or therapy because I think people need to understand that. It's not for me to make you feel better. It's for you to learn a life practice of making yourself feel better and learning even how to balance those emotions and to be in truth with everyone else in your life. You know, like... Looking at friend groups versus a starting five, looking at, you know, relationships outside of yourself and learning how to date yourself first and make yourself actually ready for a relationship with your own self. So everyone is bespoke. I'm not sure what you need. I'm not sure what's really the problem that's blocking your heart. And I'm also not sure what you used to do to take care of yourself when you were a child. So we would start there. So you would start where? In conversation about my childhood, about how I feel, and would you give me strategies or ways to access joy or? I would lead you to see your own strategy. I would lead you to see where you already have practices that you need to ramp up 
or uh, or strategies that you need to release because they're not actually bringing you joy. Um, and so it's not conversations more than making a plan. For example, if you wake up in the morning, you know this. If you don't run your day, your day runs you. I love that expression. But how do you run your day? If you wake up and the first thing you do is look at your phone, well, you're already on someone else's agenda. If the first thing you do is feed your kids before you've done anything for yourself. And I understand that that's a luxury. Not everyone has excess time. Some people work multiple jobs, have lots of children. But if you can make yourself the star of your own story, even for one minute as you start your day, it just sets a different tone for the day. And then I say you need joy snacks all day because once you've done the thing in your house, whatever it is, it could be, I love songs. I love singing. So make a three-song playlist. As soon as you wake up in the morning, you're going towards the bathroom as you're doing. You're singing those songs. I would even push you to say songs that when you feel them, they transport you into a, an experience of yourself that you love. And so you could do that while you're taking a shit. You could do that while you're walking to the kitchen. It doesn't have to be fancy. It just has to be this concept of, I have to take care of myself. Um, my friend Ashley has a podcast called The Miracle Is You. And when I was on the podcast, she said, oh, I think what you're saying <clears throat> is that everybody is literally the chief energy officer of their own life. And that makes so much sense. And even if you don't believe that sounds woo-woo, you have said once in your life, oh, I don't like the vibe. I'm not, I don't like that place. So you have some sense that energy is happening around you. So how do we move around our own life so that we are the chief energy officers, I'm going to get tongue twisted on that, of our own lives? I'm, I came in here today. I just had a situation. I was on a shoot. It had some mishaps. Things were confusing. People didn't get things the way that I expected, which is another word we should talk about, that I expected them to. So an old me in the music industry, I would have lashed out and someone's not right. Or there's people who would have, you know, thrown a shoe at them. We know those people. Um, but I realized that I am the master of my own reality. I am a creator of everything in my life. So if I'm having this experience with someone that's not going well, either I have to do something for my own energy, I have to look at this experience and, and is this true for me? Is this what I really want? Am I really calling this in? And have those practices that realign you to what's, the, what's talking to you. So wait, what questions or assertions are you making? You're in this work moment, yeah. <clears throat> which is not going properly. You're getting frustrated what what is the internal discussion that gets you back I on track? That. Great question. Well, the first thing I always do is check in with how I feel because I know that when I'm frustrated, here, let me do it in the opposite way. When I started doing this work for myself, I was consulting and I was noticing that I'd be in a great state and then super quickly I would be in a disgusting state, like in a, in a you know, whatever you want to call it, God of your understanding. Some people call it suffering. Some people call it anger, whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> and I'd have to just stop and just literally hear what's going on. So I was having, I was doing a consulting job. I was talking to this woman. I go into a meeting. There's six women in the meeting. And um, one of them immediately starts just kind of really trying to um, push her weight around and show that she's in charge. And so in my old instinct was to re-push my weight around. And, and then when I stopped, I thought, you know what? This woman doesn't even have the pleasure of getting to know me or to talk to me. She, no one has talked to her about why I'm even here. I can maybe understand why she might feel insecure and why she might be having this big experience. So I just stopped and started from there. You know what? I was about to go get real rah-rah, but I realized that we actually haven't had the conversation that a few of us have had here where they know why I'm here. They understand what, you know, what the higher-ups have asked me to come in and do. 
So let's start there. And immediately she relaxed. So that was, I knew, okay, let me just set a different tone. So you reframed it away from your ego, right? And approached it with a little more empathy. Well, one one more back. Before I just the ego, I have also started to learn the things that inflame my ego and then take a step back from those things and realize why. So if my ego is inflamed, I now know if I'm frustrated, short with people or moving fast, that I have missed some morning work for myself, that I have started my day. I'm traveling like this morning. I usually I'll meditate. Sometimes I do yoga. If I don't have a lot of time, I'll just do a dance party. If I don't have time for all those, the day is not going to go so well because I have literally not made myself the star of the story. It's not about me. And now I'm already in this other moment. So it was a reframe, but it also was reminding myself, oh, you didn't take care of yourself today. You weren't kind to your friend, Grace. You didn't make her your first client. You didn't make her your lover or your boss or whoever you, you take better care of than ourselves, which is most people. So I had to remind myself that, okay, you know what? When I leave this meeting, I'm going to do this and we'll do that. Um, so it's, it's more of using, like you said, joy is here. And then um, what was the word you used? Oh, anger, pain. What mm-hmm. was the word you used? Ego. E- no, when you were first saying, you're Empty. like, I'm not always in joy. I'm also some- well, It could be sad. It yeah, could I'm be, sad. Yeah. So that's not a, an emotion to get rid of. That's an emotion to understand that that's actually telling you something. That's also a communication. So we two things in there. You talked about the morning is critical and doing things for yourself to set you on a path for the day. Critical. But you also talked about being a friend to yourself. That's correct. And sometimes the inner voice is, I think for me, my inner voice is empathetic and accepting of mistakes. And it, I believe in myself. I don't find myself arguing with my inner voice and put down by it. But I know that others seem to find themselves, they are arguing their inner voice, their inner voice tell you, you don't belong here. You're not good enough. What, you know, putting them down and they have to fight against their inner voice. So that is important to deal with. And, and I am that. You know, I am someone who I'm a 10th grade high school dropout. My father was in jail my whole life. And I'm not saying that as that's the reason. But I believe that when we're born, we come in with a, a set of beliefs and ideas. And even if you're two days old, let's say you're my mom and you're nursing me. We're, I'm two days old. For the first two days of my life, my whole life now, two days has been beautiful. You're nursing me. All those hormones are raging. We're in love. We're feeling delicious. On the third day, you get a call. It's bad news. You pull your eyes from me. Now I feel like I've screwed up my life. I've somehow done something to make you love me less. So now, fourth day, you're nursing me again. And then you're telling all your friends, oh, it's so cute. When I nurse Gracie now, she, she plays with my elbow. And you think that's cute. But what that is, is my first performative love gesture. It's the first time I'm learning that I've got to keep the love coming. If I've come here to boot camp life, and to figure out how to walk and talk and do all the basic things so I can get up on my feet and do my mission on this on Earth School, then I've got to make sure that my community is sorted. So I'm making sure that this community is here for me, right? Right. So I know I'm going a little tangent, but so now I have a little ism. I have a fear and I have a thing that's developed with my first love. Now I'm pre-verbal. So 20 years later, you and I, you're saying, Grace, you're looking a little porky. We should work out together. And I say, fantastic. And you say, I have this training. I would never say that to you. Well, you could. I don't take these things for, okay, but you could. 
Um, let's say, okay, you say, Grace, I enjoy my trainer. He makes me happy. Please join me. And so, but you say, I want to warn you, <clears throat> you're going to be in pain. You're going to be sitting on the toilet tomorrow and you're, gonna be, you're not going to be able to get down there. But I have words for that. So now I'm prepared to go into that level of work because I understand the outcome. But if you say to me, you should date my engineer, he's amazing. All of a sudden, I have a pre-verbal feeling that I don't even know how to put words around and access that feels like, oh, no, I'm not going there. You see what I mean? So that's where a lot of self-talk and negative issues start to come up because now I'm living in a world that I am dodging and moving around based on a five-day-old, co- I mean, I'm making this so up. So you're but- making this allusion to childhood. A lot of your, some of your Joy Strategist's work yeah. is about bringing people back to their childhood and adult play dates. Is that yeah, part so of the what, work? So for, when I started seeing all these patterns in myself, I'm now getting divorced for the third time. I also don't believe in victim consciousness, so I know that I had a role in that, the relationship at all and the demise and all of them because of whatever I'm dealing with. So I started to really dig into that and realize, oh, I am brutal to myself. Like, I'm really hard on myself. I'm not nice to myself at all. I have these strange expectations that of things I'm supposed to achieve of success, which is not even my actual joy. That's not even what turns me on. But this is coming from where? Where did this come from? Oh, it came from a belief when I have a teenage mom and she needs me to help her. Now we're in it together. So I'm working hard. She's happy. So now I've made up this concept that that's how I get love. You see what I'm saying? So it's not to do that. It's to, to, to reframe your childhood. So I went back to all those beginnings. I started swaddling myself, having different conversations with myself, reading myself books, stories, bath time, put myself on the schedule. I'm like a teenager now. And just started really leaning into those things. And it did a, many things for me. It made me also see the entanglement of other stories and expectations and beliefs and fears that I've now laid on top of this relationship. And it also made me realize how much I can access those relationships with my own if I can get around the fear of intimacy, which is really what that is. So now when I talk to you, I want you to like me, Tore. I want you to think I'm great. That was great in the show. So I have a whole thing that I'm going to do to and, and uh, arouse you and make you excited for me to be here. None of them is about me. That's you, me leaving with you having a concept of me. Yeah. So I had to untangle all of those things and to get to my truth. And now I feel very comfortable being in real intimacy, which is being honest. And I'm comfortable or I don't feel good or I feel happy. Most people can't access even that language, which is what real intimacy is. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy. And we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy. And I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer. Because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. 
And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. So in in the course of your work, yeah. what tends to be the barriers to joy? Yes. The barriers to joy are ourselves. Ourselves. Our beliefs about what we deserve what we believe we can have and what we believe is, I mean, that's, it's kind of a wide box, but at the root of it is that, you know, I'm this and I've made this concept up for myself. And so because I'm this, I don't deserve that or all I deserve is this or all I can have access to, or there's a glass ceiling or, you know, you you ever heard people say this? Um, Oh, I got into Columbia. Oh, you're not going to do well in the city. Sure. So we have all of those that we put on our backpack or as Erica Badu says, our, 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 our bags, our garbage bags, and we walk around the world with them for the rest of our days, and we don't know why we can't access our big dream, our big success. But there's another conversation that's happening underneath that is not understanding which one to choose. Do famous people, successful people, tend to have a different internal conversation? Nope. And, if you, and, and the way you can actually see that is you think of things like sophomore syndrome. What is sophomore syndrome? Why can you make this incredible album, sell 10 million copies in the old days, not now. Yeah, right. Um, but you can't do it again. Or you did it again, it's just like the last one. Or you did everything of your heart's dream, but no one likes it. How can you be so out of touch with that reality? That's because there's an underlying concept in there that that's not really you. Imposter syndrome, I didn't really do it. All the producers did it. I don't want to tell people, other people wrote on the thing because they won't think I'm this amazing artist. We know who that is. So- we all have the same conversations at different levels. You know, you are a person that if you probably look to your life, I, I don't know what your upbringing is, but I would assume that there was a little bit more room for you to figure things out on your own, a little bit more space for you to have some mistakes and a little bit more opportunity to um, be workshopping who Torre is versus someone who comes into the world and you got to get to work. You know, you have another sibling or it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. And then there you go. You have a life where it's not about you. Do, do Surely men and women tend to have different barriers to joy. Depends on who they are and what their upbringing is. It really goes back to these little blobs of clay and who's forming like. What maybe, happens before you're three? 
That's critical. Critical. And then, you know, it depends on the philosophy. So in our country, we, the public schools used to be the common schools, and they're all based on the Horace Mann education system. And many argue that the Horace Mann education system is based on the memorization of factory tools. Then you have people who are now, they're making a little more money. They're a little bit more expansive. They want something else for their kids. They see there's this woman from Italy, and she's doing this other concept Reggio. of education. What? Reggio. Yeah, that's her first name? Emilia Reggio. Is that the, the, the Montessori? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, Similar, yeah, so yeah. there's that concept. Yeah, yeah. And then you have the Waldorf schools, when yeah. that is the philosopher from Austria, that's Rudolf Steiner, which I love. And Rudolf Steiner's concept is that children before seven have no analytical mind. So whatever you tell them, you're not good at math. You're not attractive. Yes, because they don't have any analytical mind. And the concept of that is that leave them alone. You know, I always joke that if we were redoing the world and we really wanted someone to lead it, it should be people under six. You know, we, you and I have a disagreement. We find someone under six and they deal with it. It might be a pillow fight. <laughs> it might be. But my point is it's, it's not based on the expectations, the shoulds, who you should be, how you should show up. It's based on how you feel. Do black people tend to have particular barriers to joy? Oh, yeah, that's a whole other thing. And, and literally, when you read the book, I feel like if you read the book and you just want to be about joy, it's there. But if you read the book and you have any concept of what it feels to be embodied as um, a black person in America of African slave descent, mm. and I say that carefully because sure. there's so many other things around that, um, we have so many more things to deal with. And that's what I was trying to explain out there a little bit in this thing of like, there's, we have to call them rumors because we weren't there. But many, many historians of, of slave culture and African history in America say that there is a, an onboarding process that happened when you came and it seemed that you were in any version of a, of a grouping. If you and I had trauma bonded on the boat, we looked like we were a couple or we looked like we understood each other's language. There was an onboarding that many people say um, the female in the equation would be asked to stand to, to see the male in the equation being handled like a female. Do you understand what I mean? And then being separated in housing. So now the female of the dynamic has a much bigger role in terms of to do, to, to do every day than the male um, mm -hmm. person. So you have a generation of, of women now, my age and I say older, who have this concept that we have to do it all. No one's here coming for us. We're all alone. It's just us. No one's going to help us because we don't have any day-to-day -day or historical feeling of being connected. And I find that even people who come through the West Indies or, you know, that that's where their <clears throat> colonization process went, even have a, um, a more rooted sensation and concept of family just because those family dynamics were not split up in that same way. You could maybe see to a grandfather or an uncle or a cousin. Mm. And so you come in, we come in with this, a little bit of a, <clears throat> what's the word? Like, like why try? Like, mm. where is it going to go? Mm. The system is created this way. Mm. Who's, gonna, who's coming? No one. And I, I feel like a lot of my friends in the last few years I've noticed have been dating outside because there's an expectation of us to heal each other. I'm coming in. I'm looking at you like, you know, you know our history. I need you to be my dad and my lover and my this and my that because... And then you're looking at me like, you know where I've been. So I, I need you to be a safe place to land. But what that means is neither of us get to show up as just who we are today. So you're saying you're seeing people our age, 
many of our friends choosing romantic partners outside the race because they just want to reinvent themselves and, and, and have a place where they can decide who they want to be versus the expectations of who you're supposed to be. I know sometimes I feel like I wear our history. It's a sense of responsibility. I have to live up to whatever I do with my life has to live up to the sacrifices, the deaths, the the revolution, the fighting, the all the crap that they went. You got to do something valuable with your life because people died for you to have these chances to That's be right. in private school and to be in media and whatever else. Um, I feel also lifted by the sense of having a community that like just – just entering any space and there's another black person, you're like, okay, that's my sister, that's my brother, whatever. Like, right. so we're in, so I have community with you, but I also have all these people who I stand on top of who I have to do work for, right? So it, it's, it's, it, it, it propels you, but it also is like this weight that you have to live up to. That's exactly right. So imagine that weight in your everyday intimate dynamic family structure. And where these unspoken rules start to become a thing that, you know, when you have some awareness around them, when you understand, you know, it, it feels to me, I have always leaned towards in my relationships, my, my long-term partnerships to black men, mm-hmm. because I feel like there is a concept also that we haven't been taught that is what really the business of partnership is about and how that grows you in different ways. Mm-hmm. That's a whole nother subject, but not having that education also makes it easier to be living in this kind of half concept of of relationship. I mean, that's a whole nother side tangent. I could go on for hours and hours. But bringing it back to the base, yes, there's all these rules and there's all these concepts that we all come into our lives with, whether they're from the family or even look at our media, right? Look at entertainment. Look at the things that get funded in, our, in, in communities of color, all communities of color. Are they the ones that show someone who made a stand to make a g- giant change? Are they the ones that get funded more that kind of feed the stereotypes of some of us are not shit and some of us take care of everything? So, so, okay, black men who are listening or people who are loving and in relationships with black men who are listening, what do black men need to do to access more joy? Yes. What black men need to do to access more joy is let's start with believing that you deserve joy. Let's just start there. Let's then go to believing that you are entitled to joy. Let's start there. And let's start creating dynamics where we take the onus off of each other to fill us with the thing, and we start to realize that joy is our radical responsibility, our individual radical responsibility. What a different experience it is to be around somebody who is realizing that their self-work, whether you call it joy or self-work, whatever you, whatever you want to call it, your spiritual ascension, there's a million words, people who know that that's their job versus people who fling it on your lap and feel like this is your job. So that's the first thing I would say is, is that working on the beliefs, working on the entitlement, because that's the thing right there, entitlement. What are the exercises that you would give a black man to learn how to access joy. Yeah, well, the very first thing is that I love that we're in a wellness boom. I love that wellness yeah. is the new trendy thing and self-love. But these are all these big topics that, just like anything else, get commodified. 
So if you're not doing yoga or meditation, then maybe you're not in self-care or you're not in wellness. But music is that. You know, whatever you did when you were pre-11, before hormones kicked in, we started losing synapses and really just got, we didn't know anything anymore. Those things. You know, I had a client who is an attorney, super miserable, hating his family, was thinking life sucked, blah, blah. And the first 20-minute conversation, I learned that this lawyer was in a band as a teenager. And so I just, that was it. I was, that's what you need to do. Get back in a band. You need to be in a band in your basement. Have your friends. Have your kids. Who cares? But whatever that act was that brought you to the zone, that let you have the permission to be free in your expression of art and your creation energy, that's what you should do first. You know uh, Neil Brennan, that comedian? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, He has this stand-up that cracked me up and made me cry at the same time. And he says, um, he was saying how that he's very sad and he's always been sad his whole life. That's just a thing of his and that it hasn't done well for him to make friends. But you know who likes it? He said, black men. Why do black men like it so much that I'm sad? They're like, yo, Neil, you're just so chill. Like nothing bothers you. And he said, but I'm sad. And then he said, I realized why black men love that so much. He says, because black men are not allowed to be sad. That the only place that black men could ever be sad is holding a saxophone. (laughs) You see what I mean? That's what I'm really saying. It's like giving yourself the permission to take all that off. To take off. The concepts of how the world sees you, what the world feels you should do or shouldn't do, or the expectations, and lean into the entitlement of pleasure. And so what, how can you find it? Well, this one was a drummer. So just start drumming. Just start singing. Start dancing. Do one thing for 10 minutes. Start, wake up in the morning and just have one gratitude. I, I woke up. I have a bed. So start bringing the thank yous and the gratitude into you to shake off the things that you feel that you should be saying and doing to support the world believing that you're not allowed to have joy. Mm. That's where Especially I as a black man, I feel like you're not allowed to have silliness. Right. It's, that's, you just hit it. So th- that's what I say. Go there. Get silly. Have a pillow fight. And you know what's even crazy? We're so afraid to talk to each other because, pre- like, excuse me, three years old, I said, Torre, I have a crush on you. And you said, but you're ugly. I mean, we're three. But we're still so You're still entangled. On that? I'm still on that. It's, Let I, it go, I have Grace. 53 years. <laughs> I was three. Let I it know. go. I'm, I'm still heart, <laughs> so heartbroken. But that is really what we are doing. We are literally walking around with these pain bodies, or as, or as Gabriel, Gar- um, what's his name, the Four yeah, Agreement man. says, we're just all walking around with raw skin. Yeah. And just we're hitting each other's raw skin all day. God, one thing with men, I saw this um, clip of a trans man. On TikTok that that destroyed me, mm. that he said that he feels so lonely and he did not realize before transitioning that it would be like this. And see, I'm like, oh, yeah, now you know what it's like to be a man. And I'm not even conscious of it because this is our normal state that kind of don't really connect with people emotionally. Sometimes you can connect with women in that way, but mostly with men you can't. Men generally are not having the deep relationships that women are having. And the trans man could see it because he had he knew what it was to be female 100%. and to have those connections transition. Now you're all alone. And I'm like, well, I didn't even see those things because I'm used to that. So I don't even right. I don't even realize that I'm thirsty because I'm always thirsty. That's right. Um, and, and I was like, wow. And yet, you know, yeah, you feel lonely in the world. Yeah, I have an answer for that. What? That when you start a business, we know what to do, yeah. right? We need employees. 
we need support. Maybe we'll get like a few friends together or people that are more experienced. Or if we really understand the importance of this company, we'll get a little advisory board together. Or if you are LeBron James and your job is to win this game, then you know that these five people that are ne- four people that are next to you are the most important four people you could ever have next to you to win this game. So you're going to pick these four people for the positions that they... So you want us to be strategic about five people in our life. That's right. In I, our social life. That it, Well, I want you to think about yourself as a business, the business of me. Mm-hmm. And I want you to look at all the players in it. So you can have friends. Maybe these are your friends. They're fun. But you can't have any actual meaningful conversations about them for whatever reasons. So these are people you go and hang out with. But for the business of Torre, for growing Torre, for... When you're, you know, I, when I loop, when I get on my loop and I feel sad, I go into no one's there for me. No one helps me. Blah, blah, blah. I go into my two-year-old self. It's very hard for me to then reach out and call you and say, I need help. So I created my starting five and my advisory uh, team of grace. So they know what I'm doing. And so I lean into them every quarter. I talk to them. I'm really honest. It was so hard for me to be honest at first because I've been undercover about myself for my whole life because I felt embarrassing. So it was hard. And at first, I just went to baby language. <sighs> Tore, I'm calling you. I'm scared to call you. I, my voice is even shaking. Even getting this vulnerable with you is making me feel nauseous. So would you just let me say it all? And like whatever version you need to go there to ask each of these people who were overjoyed to do that. They all said, Grace, you helped me with everything and you never asked for anything. But it was this tape I was running in my own head. So I'm asking everyone to take themselves that seriously. That's the entitlement we're missing, right? We were not taught that you, I mean, we all do the thing where we see other people saying things and doing things. We can't believe it. But that entitlement is just a safety. They feel safe doing that. So we have to give ourselves that life safety. So make an advisory board for yourself of the two people, the four people, the whatever you need. I don't like it usually more than five. It just gets more complicated. It's another job. Are you telling them that you're on my? Yes, they, so I'm interviewing. I have thought of them. This, this is this. Okay, right now, this happened to me five years ago, and I said, you know what? I could. I'm getting divorced. I could um, go back in the music industry. I could do all these things. But I feel a bit like I have been a wife three times for someone in medical school, and they all got their medical degrees and their residencies, and I supported it. But I never got to go to medical school. So now I'm doing that, and this book is it. And I need help. And it started with a mirror and I went to him Questlove. and I said, I, with, with Questlove and I said, I don't know how to do this. And it was funny because at the same time, another person who I love, who's a, a musician in the world, big in the world, um, during the pandemic called me and said, I want to write a children's book, but I don't know how. And I said, you're one of the most famous MCs in the world, but there was no belief that they could transition into anything else. It was heartbreaking to experience that. And I realized I'm doing the same thing. It's easier, I think, for a woman to say, I feel vulnerable. No, it's not. For a man. I can't say that. Well, you don't have to say that. That's my point. That's why I say this is bespoke. Whatever you have to say. My name is Jim. You call me up and you say, I'm going to change my life. I now want to be an architect. I'm going to go back to school. Um, And this is scaring me. And so I just like to be able to call on you once a quarter and say, here's what's happening. Can you give me your feedback? 
You don't have to use the the, the vulnerable word. You don't have to talk about intimacy. The word. I mean, like I am saying, I am uncomfortable. You have to. Can you be there for me? But you're it's also hard. saying it's hard. But it's also equally hard to just feel alone. So your your options in mm. life are to just feel shitty, or deal with it. And so you can either deal with it by raging out on other people or realizing, okay, here's a class. Or, well, what men tend to do is swallow their emotions, not take their emotions seriously, just push it down, you know, just get through it. And guess what that leads to? Depression. And dis-ease. There's no way we can even still believe that all this trauma and stress and emotions is not impacting our physicality. It is. And so you, we have to start to take responsibility for that. Do you know that one, well, I heard this crazy statistic that people, there's like some, I don't remember the number, that nobody is breathing from their Diaphragm. sternum down. That everyone is breathing from here up because nobody feels safe enough to expand their diaphragm. Do you know what that means? That means that if you're going to a restaurant that's a 24-hour restaurant, it's never getting cleaned. So if you're never breathing into the area that stores your liver and your kidneys, they're never getting oxygenated. How is that not going to lead to cancer? How is that not going to lead to all these different issues in our body, right? And like if we were made to go out and hunt animals, then it was very helpful at one point for us to have fight or flight we talked about before. But we don't fight animals. We don't go out and hunt lions anymore. So we still have that feature. It helps us judge that if we step in the street not to get hit by a car, but if we don't take um, control of our body in that way, every single loud noise or color that once freaked us out, another um, dynamic, I was, I'm going to now be afraid of olive green shirt for the rest of my days. We are constantly in our freeze and a fight or flight in our body. I mean, part of, I, I'm fighting with my cat to stop peeing in my plants, but that's a different thing than what you're talking about. Um, part of what you are asking for from men is an emotional awareness. I'm that, not asking them for emotional awareness. Well, you you I'm are baby in, step. you are in that part of what you want us to do is to just just be aware of how you're feeling, and you know either accept it or shift it, and that alone is a lot for men. That's right. That's why I don't don't worry about that now. Just go to the very first step. It's just feeling it. I mean, this can take as long as... The first as step is Feeling just, into the entitlement of joy. Just feeling into that you want to believe, you believe it because we're sort of... That you deserve joy. And that's even hard for people. But just, where is it? When was the last time you laughed so hard that something flew out of your nose or your stomach was hurting or your cheeks hurt? Just go there. Like, when's the last time you heard that song that when you heard that song reminded you of that time that you felt like this? Just giving yourself a minute a day. You can just, you can start with just... Feeling thankful for your life. Wake up. I have sheets. So grateful. Just baby step. I'm not, I'm not asking for miracles. It's hard for me to be vulnerable. I worked in an industry that I had to co-switch real hard. I had to look like I was fuckable, but act like I was tough as nails. And so that didn't allow room for me to be grace at any point. I had to come in every day. I had to prepare myself. I had to be in this situation. And I am famous for telling my team, like, there's no crying in baseball. Like, don't come in here crying. Like, this is a tough business. What are you talking about? That's not teaching people to access emotions, and I certainly wasn't access, accessing them for myself. And even ending my relationships, I always felt like a failure, that no matter what it was, no matter how complicated, how painful, how difficult, I was supposed to endure this because I signed up for it. And that's what you do. You just deal with the things you created for yourself. 
So accessing it for me was really hard. And I overstand how hard it is for, I mean, living in this world right now is so confusing for males in general. I mean, you're supposed to be the toughest thing in the world, but also access your feelings and be feminine, but also to, and then take care of things and be in charge. I understand how complicated it is, but I also understand that we, our children do what we do, not as we say. And so if we don't want to see this perpetuated over and over and over and over like we are now, we have to do something about it. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash thrivemarket.com slash On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Women will encourage and urge us to be more emotional and then punish us for doing that. That's exactly right. (laughs) But what I say to that is, those are not your people. Like, we have to get so discerning. Like, think of yourself as an empire. And then... You know, would you have anyone in here who didn't have don't know how to do the job or was going to put you in a detriment? So we have to realize that we are that valuable too and start treating ourselves so You're that talking way. about being really almost ruthless or very thoughtful and intentional about who you are friends with. That's why I like ruthless because we are ruthless and out in the world. You know, I am a recovering people pleaser, fear of rejectionite, right? And so I would never ever do anything to anyone ever that made them uncomfortable. But I lived in an uncomfortable state at all times because I was taught that that was the better thing to do, right? Or you, you, here's my favorite. You go into an elevator, you, people talk all the time that your children should know to protect their bodies and that they have the right. But then we run into an uncle, some random friend, and I'm embarrassed that my kid is not giving them a hug. Like we have to start looking at the double messages. Well, that's and, a big thing. I know when we were kids, not hugging your uncle or whatever was like, what are you talking about? It's so disrespectful. And now I think a lot of parents of our generation are like, it's optional. You don't have to hug. You don't have to kiss. Like, it's okay. That's advanced math, parents. <laughs> I still was in Harlem today, and this woman told her son she's going to pop him in the face in front of everyone on the street. So Because he didn't hug somebody? No, just in general. Like, that's the oh, answer. We're still doing, yes. But what I'm saying is, punishment. so there. I think that as much as there, I feel like when— you and I are so blessed 
that we have a life that we're around all kinds of people doing all kinds of things. And a lot of people don't have that life. And so they're still living in these very specific rules and laws that govern their whole life. And so if we, you and I, are not people who can start to lean into some of those things to make the changes, because that's inner systemic change. And we can't make outer systemic change until we make inner systemic change. There's nothing that's actually going to change out here until we change. So wait, what is the second step? You said the first, just accept that you are entitled to joy. What is the second step? Making some little joy snacks in your life, like going to small, tiny little moments where you can start to infuse that so that actually you can feel that in action. You talk about doing things that make you feel joy? That's right, like the drummer. You know, maybe he like, feels like his life stinks, like but when playing he's playing some music for your like the three songs you sure. love that transport you. Yeah, you love comedy. You love to write comedy. You went, you used to want to be a comedian. Well, then you should be writing at least a joke a day, just for yourself. Send it to your friends. But just finding the way. You know what? I used to love to play basketball with my five friends. Okay, can you once a month write into the gym and still play basketball? I'm just asking everyone to just find some little nuggets of joy in ways that they can access it in whatever way you can access it. And then just practice that. Life is a practice. We're not going to ever have mastery of anything because nothing is perfect. You know, I go to yoga, I'm still practicing. I'm dancing, I'm still practicing. I'm still practicing how to be intimate. I'm still practicing how to be honest. It's so uncomfortable for me to be honest with people because I want them to like me. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. But no one talks like this because it's embarrassing. Mm -hmm. But I'm willing to be embarrassing so that everyone else can start to lean a little bit into some joy. I know women can feel like they're not supposed to focus on themselves. They're supposed to focus on taking care of husband, taking care of children, taking care of whoever they have to take care of in the work context. So this notion of you're entitled to joy sort of clashes with some of the messages that are deep in their DNA. You, when I was uh, eight, there was a commercial. It was a national commercial. It was like the biggest thing. And it was a Charlie for this perfume called Charlie. Oh, yeah. And the commercial starts, I can bring home the bacon. Fried up in fried a up pan. Fried up in a pan. And, and never, never let, let you, you forget, forget you're, a man. you're a man. And I remember asking I'm... a woman. Because you know what that really means? That, oh, it's cute. You want to have a job too? And you want to do that? Oh, but you may, it can't get in the way of your home life. It and also get. be the same cook and oh, yeah. lover, you have the big, passionate lover. Oh, you have to be able to cook a five-course meal. I mean, meal. that was the 70s, and the notion of women going to work was revolutionary, right? You have more women entering the workforce than we'd ever had before. And we were all sort of adjusting, and they were, and this yeah. brand was saying, you can have it all, right? Which if, is If you still take care of your man. So that huge response, or I had someone tell me, a family member, when I was getting married the first time, I want to give you some advice. Just, you know, you're not always going to want to have sex. But when your husband comes, just let him do his business. This is, you start polling black women over 50, many people have gotten that advice. Just fuck him, even if you don't want to. Well, you have to. Someone else will. This is literally advice handed down. So what I'm saying is all of us were handed some bullshit. And you know what is even more? I, there's no penalization in my book of that because our parents were also handled some bullshit. Because think, oh, think about this. When you, to drive your car, you need a license mm. and lessons. Mm. The most important job in the universe, whether you want to do it or not, is create more people. Isn't that our job? Sure. Only amateurs can apply. The first time. You can't be an expert parent the first time. It's impossible. Right. So that's either a joke of the universe 
or it means that we're supposed to rebirth over and over every time we birth anything new. You know, I think about like raising children is the hardest and most important thing that right. we'll do. That's right. And we all assume I'll have two, I'll have three, whatever. Nobody dreams of having one, but well, like, no one, but yeah. I mean, yeah, some yeah. people do have yeah, one yeah, yeah. and it's beautiful, but nobody dreams. Right? Yeah, but usually they're like, I'm going to have four and then they have right, one. Right, right. Nobody dreams to have one. And I'm like, one is a great idea. Because yes. you could focus on this one person and this one thing and do your best with that. Having two is like, I'm going to climb Mount Everest backwards. Like, can you just do it forwards? But you can really screw one up too. Of course. And I think what I'm really saying is the point is when these new beings come, they have skills and information that we don't have based on when they were born or whatever the deal is. That's when we're not supposed to be the parents who, this is what my rules. That's when we're supposed to lean into our own rebirth and play with them and learn with them again and grow with them again and find that place through that new life. Going back to childhood is important for you, for your work. That's right. For everybody, actually. But this is part of your yeah. your ministry of like reclaim your childhood. That's right. And or return to it. it or redeem it. Yeah. Both? Only you know. That's really what I'm saying. Only you know. When we really start to lean into our truth, it's a GPS. It's sometimes messy. Sometimes it goes the wrong way. I had an argument with the Uber guy a few weeks ago, and he was fighting me that <laughs> the place that. that we went to is my where the address was. I grew up in this place, so I clearly know this is not it. He wanted to bet a child that this was the right address because the GPS said so. But we all have a GPS. Our feelings really do lead and guide us to our biggest dreams and our highest potential and our biggest illumination when we trust them. If I'm running a marathon and I know that it's that way, I know eventually you'll be there with a sign, Grace, you can do it, a Mylar blanket and water. But if I get scared and go left, I'm just lost in the woods. And so I'm saying, I'm not saying this is cute. I'm saying that accessing your joy and leaning into the places where you already had these experiences and these tools is essential for your transformation, essential for your transformation. Up there with breath, with food. And that might sound crazy, but your choices are you can walk around feeling like crap, never achieving the things you want. And then I had a person tell me recently, you know, it's cool. I don't need to do that because I figured it out. I just work real hard all week. And then I get as, as, as high and drunk as I can the weekends with my boys and go back and do it again. Dead fit. Literally, this was the answer. I mean, that is the way a lot of men yes. look at it. That's right. That's not. It's popular. Right. That's, that's, not, that's not the way to go about it. I don't, I'm not saying it is or isn't. I'm just saying the other option is a little bit of uncomfortableness. The same when you were working out and trying to get that buff body. You were in pain. You couldn't sit on the toilet. Why is that cool? But as soon as we go to our heart space— Oh, intimacy, vulnerability. Mm -mm. But we don't have a choice. Do we have to be as willing to accept discomfort in talking about feelings as we are in dealing with our body? 100%. Right? And we're used to, if I'm going to grow with my body, get stronger, get more flexible, whatever, there's going to be some or a lot of pain involved in that. That's fine. We That's accept right. that. That's right. But emotionally, Many of us are running away from painful emotions. Yes, because it's the same as when you go back to the school you, grew, you 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 went to when you were a kid, and now it's so tiny, but it looked big. So we have these pre-verbal emotions, big emotions from our first love and our connection to our family and all these things. But if they didn't go perfectly, we've created a dialogue in our nine-day-old life, in our six-year-old life, in our two-year-old life, in our 11-year-old life. 
And then we go inside our head with them, gaslight ourselves forever with them information that we alone carry so we don't even know if it's true. So if we don't rewrite those things or at least start looking at them differently or feeling into them differently, we're just going to be waiting to the weekends to get messed up. Blasted. And then trying to get back at it and then eventually just die. If that's your way, <laughs> cool. Eventually just die. But that's, uh, this is real. I mean, I'm, I have relatives. I'm telling you that's their story. You know, I have a, my, I have a step-grandmother. My grandfather died. She watched TV till she died. Two years. She didn't want to go out there. He was the social one. He was the this one. What is your, what is the third thing that you would advise people? To do. Yeah, because we talked about your first two. Steps. Make a daily practice with yourself, getting sexy with yourself. Getting sexy. With what does yourself. that mean? It means that we don't, okay, touch yourself. You know, you touch your arm, we touch it, function. But when's the last time you just touched your skin? Like get sensual with yourself, alone in all the ways. So you can start to feel into the softness. It's there. We just don't allow it in. You're in the mirror and you're, this is very hard, but this is the aspiration. And every metaphysical teacher ever has always said this one. Start to look into your own eyes. And don't, oh, I'm old, they're wrinkled. But what's beautiful about them? Like start to romance yourself in the tiniest little ways so you can just start to feel the softening in your own heart. It wants it. It wants it bad. And once you just let that in a tiny bit, it takes over. Because we're naturally, we're sorters. You see a red car and all of a sudden you see a hundred red cars. Yeah. Your, preg- your wife's pregnant and everyone's pregnant. Yeah. So we're sorters. And as soon as we start to put some of those ingredients into our recipe, it's amazing how some of these, you know, and you get that little trifecta going and soft, slow. I'm not asking anyone to rip the Band-Aid off. You can. That'd be great. But you can also just start with, you know, I wake up in the morning and before I even talk to my wife or my partner or my kids, I just, I go to the bathroom, I listen to that one song. And that just sets my day. And then when I'm in the, after I listen to that one song, I feel good. And I say, you know what? You're entitled to have a little fun today. You're entitled to have a little joy. That's it. Maybe then you get inspired and you call your friend and you say, you know, I'd love to get a walking group together. I used to love to take long walks. Whatever. I'm just making it up. Yeah. I think it's, I really Whatever. want people to understand it. It's, it's your it's own. It's different for different people. It's yeah. really whatever really turns you on. But what is getting to you feeling like it's okay to feel joy, making sure that you're giving yourself joy, feeling in touch with the things that you went through in childhood. This is, this is the crux of what you're talking about. hundred percent. Well, let me ask you a question. When you wanted to start a podcast, was that easy? I mean, it, it, well, there were some steps. I mean, was it easy? I mean, I don't, I don't know how to answer the question. You do. Because your response is saying it wasn't totally easy, but it wasn't so hard. But it did require some work. Did it require any work? Some. Yeah. So did you feel terribly afraid to lean into it? No. But do you know anyone else who'd like to do a podcast? Sure. And they haven't done it? Sure. And why? They don't have access. They don't feel like they have access to the structure, to the infrastructure. They feel like they have access to the infrastructure. Yeah. That's the same. As what? Not feeling like you have access to the infrastructure of joy within your own heart. So the same way that you made a plan to get around the perceived or not perceived, possibly complicated or not situations to make a podcast, that's the same structure. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's interesting because women are at least in conversation with these ideas, with themselves and with their friends. Men are generally not aware 
they're not in they are not a, a, able just name your emotions that is very very difficult for most men but do men have sex do they have sex do men of have sex of course okay so do they have sex with women without speaking you can but but is that the general do women like that mostly like cuz on, on average like do they appreciate you just came in took off your pants and didn't say a word and just got you mean talking before or are we talking about during the anytime act? there's conversation that happens well it's hard to talk during the act i mean some okay. people do is but is there any conversation that happens ever around the act of a male having sex with of a course. female right sure. so how do they get past the fear of intimacy enough to do that obviously there's intimacy involved with having sex Okay. Oh, maybe. I mean, so getting completely naked with someone and putting your penis in them is not intimate. You know, it it is. So but I think I'm about for a man. Obviously, you know, never having been a woman, I can't speak to that. But for a man, like, just as soon as you get near the potential of having sex. It's like the brain shuts off and you're just completely focused on what can I do to, <laughs> to actually make this you happen. You just said it. But what can I do to make this happen? Yeah. So there are steps to intimacy in that arena as well. We have these tools is what I'm saying. We think they're uncomfortable because we've been trained mostly by males before us that this is a no-go. But you don't have a choice. You have to start to do these things. Like the world is not in a place right now where we feel good walking out and leaving it to our kids. It's not. No one can agree on anyone, on anything. There's this, you've heard of this incel, this new, the, the fastest growing population of males. You've heard this incel? It's mean, just, it means involuntarily celibate. Oh, mm, yeah, 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 yeah. This is a huge thing yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah. So what is the barrier there? What's their barrier? You think it's so easy to have sex. Why can't they have sex? They're involuntarily celibate. Right, because they can't access. They want it. Right. Why they can't, can't they get it? Because they can't. They don't know how to speak to women. There you go. Because mm-hmm. what is that? Intimacy. So you know how to do you. You know how to do it for survival to get you to the little bit. I need. I want that. I could do enough to get. I'm going to say the things, the intimate things. I'm going to. So you. We have these tools. Men know how to do it. Men do do it. It's very hard. I don't know. You keep saying it's hard. Yeah. The, it is. You're like men know how to do it. Most men don't know how but to see, do it. But see, if we chose that everything is hard, so we don't do it. We no, would just no. sit here and just pee on ourselves and never move. <laughs> so what I'm saying to you is, yes, it is hard. I'm not sitting here and telling you this is easy work. Of course. But I'm saying that if you want any version of a life that grows, thrives, evolves, develops, and feels slightly okay, you have no choice. Okay. So I could talk to you about this all day, and it's incredibly it. important. Yeah. Um, I want to um, go off the menu for a minute. Please, let's Because do it. I've known you for like 20 years, and yeah. I learned— Something today. Oh, okay. Uh, I was today years old when I learned that one of the greatest rap songs of all time is about you. Benita Applebaum, Tribe Called Quest's first album. There Was that the first? That was the first hit? Oh, yeah. No, El Segundo. El Segundo was the first hit. The first video. This is the second hit. What? The song is about you? What? Tell me the story. When I was a teenager, I, my mother moved to Haiti and I had my own apartment on Thompson Street. Um, in the village. You it had was your own apartment as a teenager? 1987. It was $210 a month. It had a giant crack in the window. It had a shower in the kitchen and a little toilet room. And you were 16. I was t- turning 17. I think I was 17 by now. And um, I had a good friend who worked at this restaurant. Um, um, Which one? Which restaurant? It was called Tortilla Flats. Uh-huh, I remember. Yeah. And then they became, and I used to go to this restaurant all the time. We were friends and he was dating a friend of mine. And then he got a job at a record label. 
And he signed. Jive. No, uh, Tommy Boy. Okay. And he signed a group, De La Soul. Mm-hmm. And at those days, one of the greatest rap groups of all time. That's what I was talking about earlier with the book. It was Pass, mm-hmm. writing, mm-hmm. who's now written the amazing children's book, which is Beautiful. so good. Um, and so in those days, hip hop was so small and so specific mm-hmm. that everybody who was into it would all diverge at the same couple clubs. And mm-hmm. in those days, pre-internet and stuff, there were some clubs that a lot of people went to, you know, the tunnel and things. And then there were a bunch of clubs that were. You had to know. You had to someone had to tell you, like Hotel Amazon and Payday. And so I went one night, and Red Alert was spinning, and um, Russell was there, and Dante, who I'm talking Dante about, Ross, and uh, Paz, and um, and Paz from Dela, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, Paz and mm-hmm. um, I was with my friend um, Leslie and Erica from high school, and we went to this club that night, and we all started hanging out, and just all fell in love. And so then Jungle and Tribe and Dela and Leaders, and they all were recording in studios, Calliope and Green Street, that all were in the city, and they all lived outer borough. And at the same time, um, I was loving how courageous so many of them were in in sampling from all these other kinds of artists' music, you know, with Dela with the Turtles and all these monkeys. But what was interesting was they didn't have a lot of context around where these things were coming from. And since I was raised by a teenager in Brooklyn, we didn't have a lot of money. So we would go to movies for free at the Brooklyn Law School and they would play different things. I saw some super inappropriate things, <laughs> but also some amazing movies from Quadrophenia to The Harder They Come, came, Harder They Come original and yeah. um, just all these things that put such a deep groove in my energy body around art, art, art. I remember the first time I saw an album cover. That was interactive. My mother bought the Stylistics album, and she brought it home, and it had a mobile inside. Like, you could poke the characters through and make it on a mobile, and everything in my body lit up. And then the grease with the album cover, which was a yearbook. And so I was so excited by all those things that when they would stay at my house, when they were people would stay at different times because I was the only one in my own apartment, there was a movie studio, um, um, a VHS store, a foreign VHS store, on Broom, five blocks away, that had like Russ Meyers movies and all these old movies. And so I had this one little tiny TV and a little VCR, and we'd all sit around and watch these movies, or I would take them to clubs and introduce them to artists like the Bad Brains or, you know, all these different things that I was into as a kid. I used to be a skinhead, hung out at CBGB's in my 13-year-old years, all my theater friends. And so it was like this fun experience of all of us with these different gifts and things, and nobody had done anything yet. Everybody was just recording, and I think Jungle was the only one who had something out, and Latifa was about to have something out. And then Africa went to London and met Moni, and she stayed with me when she was first in wow. America. And we just all hung out together all the time. And if you look at all those old albums, they thank all these people, but then there's just random thank you, Gracie Harry, on the album. And if you listen to the first Tribe and second Tribe album, you can see that we were madly in love then. And then on the second album, he's saying mean things like, although she's flipping crazy, save my love for Gracie. Or are you stayed a girl whose mother was a Quaker? What does that mean? So you can feel— so the first and the second album, Q-Tip's talking about you. Uh-huh. Yep. Wait, but Benita Applebaum— It's about me. No, I know, but like— So when we first met, it wasn't the thing that we didn't do oral sex. We did not do that as brown people, remember? We did not do that. That was not a thing in the 70s and 80s. 
You don't remember that? Keep going. <laughs> Keep so going. So I was growing up with all kinds of people. And when we first met, so we met, um, I used to date this other guy that was friends with Dante. So it was like this big fight at Hotel Amazon. But he had seen the picture of me in Dante's office. And so when we met that first night, we just walked around the city for hours together. And I'd never met someone who had such an interesting perspective of the world the way I did. And we just instantly hooked up. Um, and he loved that I knew all these artists, like the the People's Instinctive Travels album cover. Yeah. That's my best friend from elementary school. She did that art. Oh, wow. And then the— um, So you suggested it to him. Yeah, I brought them together. And she—to them all, Ali, everyone loved. And they told her what they wanted, and she drew it. She was in high school at the time at Art and Design. Holy shit. And then um, Daria Hines, Gregory's daughter, who's mm-hmm. a stylist. She mm-hmm. was a photographer at the time and took the photo, I think, on the back of El Segundo, the one where they're walking on the tracks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it just felt like— that's what kids did at the time. We all knew people that were going to different schools and were artists and doing things. And we all just kind of hooked up and started putting our magic together and exploring together. And I feel like it was such a magical time for them because they were coming into this new sound, a new place. And it was magical for me because growing up in New York, I always just felt like a weirdo that I had such a divided. Do you remember in the 80s how you'd meet someone, you'd ask them if they want to be friends by saying rock or disco? You like rock. Remember that? <laughs> Do you remember that? That was like the way you knew if that was your, they liked rock or disco, you knew it was your friend. And I'll never forget, I was in fifth grade and I was like, both. I like rock and I like disco. And it felt like the biggest statement I'd ever made in my life. And that energy and meeting them, it just felt like, right, that's the connection. We, we all of the time were leaning into all these different realities of how we wanted to be and how we wanted to express ourselves. And yeah, it was fun. If you talk to Busta, he says it wasn't fun because we were two Aries and it was a lot and intense to be around us when things were not going so well. But when to be around us when things were going great was magic. We were yeah. just having fun and being creative. So and, it's not just Benita Applebaum. It's Well, we were a thing other for songs. a long time. Yeah. Well, yeah, not other songs from him. Other songs he mentions things about our relationship. And I never used to talk about this. It was very embarrassing. And refused to be in the video because I didn't want to be a video girl because right. at the time right. I wanted to be taken seriously for my, you know. Right. Um, but now I really appreciate it. Now I feel like I'm that old crazy woman who's had such a wild, bizarre past yeah. that it's starting to be fun and interesting. Was it embarrassing though? Like, yeah, it felt embarrassing. Yeah. It felt embarrassing to me. It felt like, and it was an issue for us because the first time I used to be, I was a chef. I worked at the Cosby show. I was their chef the last season and I had my own catering company at 19. And it was very important to me to build my career. And I was, I was a, I'm, 10th grade high school dropout. I'm not educated. I don't have parents in New York. So it was really important for me to figure it out, to figure out how to live my life. And when he went off for the first European tour, it was just difficult because it just meant to me that I was going to now be the arm candy of someone that I didn't want to be versus a collaborator in a creative way. And to him, it felt like I didn't care. I mean, you're also dealing with like, I'm doing this relationship. Every relationship is going to have ups and downs. And if I say something or something happens, he's going to make a song about it. And it could be like, she's so hot. Or it could be like, she's so annoying. That was the problem. And even we had a fight about it because then the press was coming out. They're asking. And I kept saying, I, I'm not per, I'm not the artist. Yeah. I'm not giving permission to be in my my life the way you're giving permission for people to be in my life. Um, so it was complicated. And amazing you know it was i was still close friends we've never not been close friends and love each other to this day but it was a lot to sort out for me so you're talked about on the first and the second album are you talking about on the third album or i don't think so over by then and by the third album now i'm working at jive very because in the first album because hip-hop was such a weird thing and when i first came into the label system what i noticed was 
they'd have these art and music departments in place, video, because yeah. video was just becoming a thing. But they just kind of slap on what they did for pop artists. And there was no real introduction. So it was a big point important for me when I started working, even with Tribe, was um, how do you start to really show and teach people the origin of hip-hop? Because the origin of hip-hop is different in Queensbridge from, mm-hmm. you know, everywhere. It's mm-hmm. When I worked at Geffen later, I had an art director who didn't understand that Common, Snoop, and The Roots were different artists. So mm-hmm. it was it was something that I was really passionate about super early. And so I really spent a lot of time with Barry Weiss in those days, making him understand that what was going, what was working maybe for um, Billy Ocean, which was big for them at the moment, was not going to work for Tribe. And so I think because we were all so young, um, I was asked to be in some of those meetings and conversations and went to the first video shoot with them because I think Barry felt that I could help kind of bring some of this Music ver- um, music communication into a visual form. Well, they were challenging to a lot of people, to but really tribe and and Dela, yeah, because the music had been so much up from the street. That's right, right. It could be I'm in the street and I'm fly, like special ed, slick Rick. It yeah, could be I'm in the street and shit is rough out here. That's right. There's tons of rappers like that. Yeah. And this was, re- and and I know Eric B and Rakim are not from the hood, but. You wouldn't have necessarily known that, well, right, no. from listening um, to their oh, music. Oh, oh, oh. Wine dance is the hood. I know people think it's Long Island, <laughs> but have you been to wine dance? In the I, have, I have not. I, I have worked not. with Rakim, and wine dance is not a sec. I, what, I mean, I don't know what it's like now. But what? But Tribe and Dela were talking suburban, very suburban. That's the right. vibe was suburban. Yes, and you know, just as an outsider growing up in Boston, going to private school, I loved hip hop. From the first time I heard Rapper's Delight and I was, you know, chasing all the cassettes I could get, buying everything mm-hmm. and loving it. But until I heard De La, then I realized that is who I am within this. And I always had felt at arm's length, but didn't didn't understand that. Yes, yes. And it's like, oh, that. And then Tribe was like, these people are like my brothers. Like this is my tribe within all of this. A hundred percent. I feel like that is the beginning of where it started to really start to expand and where mm. I feel like people could start to own their piece of hip hop, where the genre became a genre versus this one experience. And people were leaning into seeing themselves reflected in the art form. Um, yeah. A broader a broader array of people. That's right. That's what I mean. The whole genre themselves. started to start to swell yeah. when then different, not only musical styles, but also lifestyle influences and realities started to become a part of the art as well. One more thing. You've met, and I want to go back to you. were like, black people didn't do oral. Yeah. It was not a thing. We did not do oral. Maybe. It was all my white girlfriends at the time who were all, my black girlfriends were like, what? Never. That was not a thing. I remember, That's why in the song he says, I like to kiss you where some brothers small. I remember being super young in the city and a guy we both know who's dating this amazing woman we both know. And I was like, okay, so how do you get her? And he was like, well, I made myself like going down on her. That's exactly. And and it was, within that, I was like, so there's a thing you have to get past. And then once you get past that, it'll be fine. But just just keep going, and eventually you'll like it. And that's the key. And I was like, a new kind of joy. I will do what what you whatever you say. I will do that. 
a few weeks ago because I've never done this. I've always been the behind the scenes person. I really like that. It was even hard for me. And there was artists I reached out to and said, I'm uncomfortable in this role around the book promotion, not the book. I'm so proud of the book because I do love that our relationship, I, I take what people tell me is real private and gospel. And so I reached out to him and said, you know, um, it was really Amir who started doing this, talking about it. I was doing a, we were, I was working with, a, I was doing a Kanye video and we were going to go to, um, we were, wow, we were doing a shoot or something and Jay and Mary had the the concert at Madison Square Garden. Remember that? And at one point we were about to leave and Ye was like, we're leaving. And Amir turned around and said, do you know who she is? She's been eating a bomb, blah, blah, blah. And I was so freaked out that he even put that out in my professional life, whatever. And so I reached out to Tip a few weeks ago and talked about this and said, you know, we've never really talked about this because I've never needed to talk about this. And he said, he said, yeah. You called Tip, Q-Tip to talk about this. Yeah, and he before said, this. And yeah. he was laughing and he said, yeah, because... No one I knew was doing any of the things you were talking about. Nobody. Nobody in my school and nobody was doing that. And I was like, oh, you make me sound like such a wild freak. But yeah, that's what was happening in another set of the world. And that seemed like a way more fun proposition than what was happening, which was just like, it's all about the dick. <laughs> then we had to change that narrative immediately. Like, let's make people aware that no, it's not. There's a lot of, there's a moose-bouche. There's a whole lot of things happen. For communication Banter. There's a lot of things that have to happen before all that goes down. Touching. Yes. Talking. Hugging. See, that's intimacy. Kissing. You know how to get to it. You keep trying to act like you don't know how to do this intimacy thing. <laughs> you're, you're, I mean, the physical intimacy I can do. But there's an, well, all I'm saying is there is you're an entryway of verbal, emotional intimacy that has to go down before there's a physical intimacy. If, mm-hmm. Unless you're just, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. unless you think she's a groupie and you know you want to kiss her. Yeah. That's a different thing. Yeah. But if you're having something with someone you want to have them to feel like there's a good experience too, there is male work that goes into intimacy to set the stage, going back to the impossibleness I, of before. I feel like it's around creating trust. But, the, but right. So you have to create trust with yourself first. We don't actually trust ourselves. You don't trust yourself. Most people do not trust themselves. What do you mean most people? Most people do not trust themselves. They ask someone else for their opinion. They ask somebody else what they think, mm. what they should wear. Am I getting likes? That's not trusting yourself. Mm. When, you ha- when you feel entitled to your own opinion, your own joy, your own things, you trust yourself. You're rooted in your own connection to your heart. You know that's going to lead you because you've done the work to, you know, you've done the work to feel its worthiness of its trust. You know, oh, I actually don't like doing that activity that I keep doing well, every... For example, a lot of women, let me not generalize, some women, when they're getting dressed to go somewhere that matters to them, they need two or three other people's opinions. That's what on, I'm saying. Is this outfit good enough? That's is not it trusting. too much or too little? That's right. You're not, right. And some, so you're saying some women, if you truly trust yourself, you don't ask other people's opinions. Right, or if you do, it's for fun. It's not the, it's not... We walk around with an expectation, most of us, that our actions are going to make us more endeared to other people, either professionally, personally, whatever. This is going to make you like me more. And therefore that if you take it back to this like a tribal concept, that'll make me safe. I can stay in the tribe. I will not be cast out and starve to death in the wilderness. I Mm. mean, just to get very basic. Yeah. So we still live that way. Oh, okay, let me ask my girlfriends because if they like this, then I'm still with them. 
okay, I'm going to make sure if he still likes me and that I'm, that I'm still safe in that community. So we don't do the work to learn to trust ourselves. We, that's why I say about that parents are amateurs first. This is no one's fault. But we know it's our job as, as adult people that has access to other ways of making life happen for ourselves. Some people don't. But if you can get to work and you can put clothes on yourself, then you do have the ability to access joy. It's just retraining these beliefs. And even how you keep throwing your hands up, you're committed to work in lots of areas. But as soon as I go into actual talking to your male friends about things, all of a sudden it's impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Impossible. (laughs) And what I'm saying is you know how to do it. So it's just getting over the the emotional fear. Think about the men who I trust the most because I've been – been good throughout my life at creating relationships with with platonic friendships with people who are older than me, 10, 15 years older That's than me, great. right? Because like, you know, Greg Tate knows the way, right? Like that guy knows the way. That's so I'm right. going to like ask him or just listen to him talk. And there's definitely been some women who were 15, 20 years older than me who also became friends who like, what do I do about this? But even the guys... And I'm like, yeah, I had a really difficult moment at work. And it's always, especially black men, always like, it's chin up, stoic, buck up. And I'm like, can we talk about what happened? They're like, stoic. I'm like, this is not, I'm not learning to process. We're just like, buck up, you'll be fine. Be tough. Like, really? I have um, a friend who has battled a drug habit for a long, long time. A long, long time. And at first it even was hard for me to access because I'm just such a type A, you know. And then I had to lean into, you know, I had a long bout of of eating disorders and bulimia and stuff. And so I had to lean into like, oh, what's my Coke? Oh, it's the cookie. Mm. So now years later, clean, they're doing great. They're having whatever this experience of life that's fantastic. And um, they had a 50th birthday and this became a thing. Someone else from the life who, you know, is not so caring that they're in this place. It's brilliant. And uh, I had a really hard time making them understand how complicated that's going to be for the whole dynamic of this party. And even getting my friend, who's now clean, to talk to the friend was almost impossible. But I found, because I knew these people so well, that I could highlight the one moment that I found that they did lean into deep intimacy in their own life around a situation. And so I started the conversation there. Like, I want to talk to you about that thing that happened with you that you shared with me, blah, 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 a long time ago, and dropped them into their own intimacy and where they felt vulnerable enough to share, where they felt so attacked to share, and then brought them to the other person's experience. So I'm not saying that there's the way is my way, the baby talk way. There's a million ways to access it. I'm just saying that I'm 53. I think we're somewhere around the same age. If you are looking at another 40-something years here, how do you want to experience it? Do you want to experience it with a deeper, more connected level of intimacy where you feel safe around people to stop talking about the five basics? Are they cheating? I'm going to get that job. And start to get into the conversations that your heart really wants to lean into. Mm. And so I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying everybody wants to do it. But I'm saying there is a way in, and, and as much as we can access it in other things, it is our job to, to, to try to figure out how to access it in our lives and inspire other people to get there too. 
I think a lot of people will benefit a lot from this. The Joyce Strategist, congratulations Thank on you. the book. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Spreading all this knowledge amongst the people. Thank, Thank you. you, Grace. Thank you. So fun. Thank you so much to Grace for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality and this show can help. You can find me on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jennifer Brown. Our editor is Ryan Woodhull. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.